0: This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
1: The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC. A registered investment advisor.
2: Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. I'm a wealth advisor, certified financial planner. Accredited Investment Fiduciary, AIF, I guess is a short term for that. Anyway, we're going to start out today talking about the monetary mayhem that clouds crystal balls. You can't read or watch financial news these days without a heavy dose of speculation about what the Fed is going to do with short-term interest rates, when it's going to do it, and how long it's going to do it for. There's nothing wrong with paying some attention to this news, but what investors need to realize is that this is not your father's or your mother's monetary policy, and they need to focus on the money supply. Yes, we know we've talked about this before, but this issue is so important it warrants multiple repetitions. Expect another reminder again sometime in the next few months. Prior to the financial crisis of 08-09, the Fed implemented monetary policy by either A. Buying Treasury securities from banks to add reserves to the banking system or B. Selling Treasury securities to banks to drain reserves from the banking system. Adding reserves would loosen monetary policy. Draining reserves would tighten monetary policy. Why would the Fed add or drain reserves? Because banks would actively trade reserves among each other on an overnight basis to meet the reserve requirements. The Fed, by adding or draining reserves, could influence the interest rate banks would charge each other to acquire these reserves, and the rate was highly sensitive to Fed decisions. This was a scarce reserve model for monetary policy. When it was implemented carefully, it delivered persistently low inflation for multiple decades. Then along came the financial crisis, and that scarce reserve model was abandoned and replaced with a model based on abundant reserves. The Fed, through multiple rounds of quantitative easing, flooded the banking system with more reserves than the banks could ever need. In turn, the Fed made those reserves valuable by paying the banks an interest rate to hold them. No longer would banks scramble to acquire reserves to meet legal requirements based on the amount of deposits that they hold. Now banks would want them only if and when the Fed paid them enough interest on those reserves. Like now, when the Fed is paying banks 4.65% per annum, and that figure is likely heading higher during the next few months. What this means is that short-term rates are ultimately decreed by government edict. The market process, banks trading these reserves no longer exist. It's our view that investors fixated on these edicts are barking up the wrong tree. What they should be barking at is the monetary supply. The M2 measure and the money supply soared for the first two years of COVID, up forty point four percent between February of twenty twenty and February of twenty-two. But in the last 10 months of 22, the M2 measure of money declined 2.3%. Not only have we never experienced a Fed trying to fight inflation problem under an abundant reserve regime, we've never seen M2 grow so fast so long or decline so rapidly, at least since the Great Depression. At least the futures market appears to be pricing in 3 more rate hikes this year, 25 basis points or more each, with possibly a 25 basis point cut late this year. There's nothing obviously wrong with this forecast. It sounds reasonable, but this is just a guess of what the Fed's edicts might change. We, on the other hand, will be looking for the January M2 report out next Tuesday, which could tell us if the drop in M2 continued into 2023. It remains to be seen how shifts in interest rate policy will influence M2 growth in the months ahead. Again, we are in an unprecedented period for policy with short, abundant reserves, so educated guesses, not definitive answers, are the best anyone can do. One big question is whether the lifting of rates has slowed M2 or is it's just the rates are higher. This may sound redundant, but it's not. Let's say that the Fed stops raising rates at a peak of 5.5% and then pauses rate changes. Will the peak levels of rates keep putting downward pressures on M2? Or is it a hiking of rates that matters? So M2 will start growing again once the Fed stops raising rates, even though it doesn't cut rates either. This isn't important because monetary policy hits the economy with long and variable legs. We have always seen some weakness in production reports, but we're not close to feeling the full blunt of the tighter monetary policies that started last year. There's a storm headed our way, so we need to be prepared for that storm. And looking at our global summary this week, we saw that investors price in more U.S. and European rate hikes. Global equities were lower on the week as the combination of resilient economic data and stubborn inflation suggests that the central banks will have to hike interest rates further. The yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note added 7 basis points to reach 3.95% on the week, while the price of a barrel of West Texas intermediate crude oil dipped to $76.41. Volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, rose to twenty-two seventy-five from twenty-one fifteen, and the markets are pricing in more Fed hikes. Investors continue to price in additional rate hikes from the U.S. Federal Reserve. Fed fund futures now suggest that the central bank will hike a quarter of percent in each of the next three meetings, while the odds of a half a percent hike in March have increased to twenty-seven percent. The minutes of the February FOMC meeting released this week indicate that participants felt it was important that overall financial conditions be consistent with the degree of policy restraints that the committee is putting in place in order to bring inflation back down to 2% goal, suggesting that policymakers were displeased with the equity and bond market rallies that were underway at the time of the early February meeting and the tighter monetary policy may be needed to offset an unwarranted loosening of conditions. Since that meeting, new data shows that the economic activity was stronger than expected and slower progress is being made on inflation, which could keep the Fed raising its longer than anticipated. Supporting this idea that the recent improvement in inflation has fallen was Friday's news that core PCE inflation, the Fed's preferred price gauge, rose 0.47% per year over year, up from a sharp 0.6% a month earlier. And Europe's gas tank is far from empty. Gas consumption in the European Union between August and January was 19% below the average of the previous five years due to conservation measures and mild winter weather. The European Union reported on Wednesday the block will begin to refill its gas storage at a time when storage facilities are more than 50% full, easing fears of Europe will struggle to source enough gas this summer to make it through next winter. Gas supplied through Russian pipelines has fallen to less than 10% of the European total, from around 50% prior to Russia's evasion of Ukraine, but new gas sources, including liquefied natural gas, have made up for the shortfall. And near-term downside growth risk is receding, Flash purchasing managers' indices released this week by S&P Global show that fears of an immediate global recession continue to recede amid rising demand, easing bottlenecks, and improved confidence. Data released Wednesday show that across most developed economies, the services sector is rebounding more strongly than manufacturing. In the United States, the composite PMI, which includes both manufacturing and services, bounced to 50.2 in February from 46.8 in January. In the Eurozone, the composite rose to 52.3 from 50.3. The United Kingdom had jumped to 53 from 48.5. The stronger data suggests it will be harder for central banks to tame inflation than it would be if the data was less robust. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back
0: shortly. This is Barry Barometer, reporting live from outside Linden Sheet Metal. It appears there is a high level of traffic around the building. I'm going in to investigate. Rose, do you know the cause of all this activity?
1: I do. You have heard about Christmas in July sales. Well, we thought why not do the opposite and have a summer in the New Year event.
0: Mmm, sounds intriguing. What details can you provide?
1: All gas fireplaces, furnaces, heat pumps, and air conditioners are on sale with discounts up to $900. There are still utility rebates and there are tax credits too. We also offer financing up to 18 months with no interest if paid within terms. Why buy
3: now, Rose?
1: Lots of reasons. To save on utility bills, stay warmer in the winter, and to beat the rush of those who waited and be ready for cooling this summer.
3: There you
0: have it, folks. Call today and take advantage of Linden Sheet Metal's summer in the New Year event.
1: Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest since 1940.
0: Fire sprinklers save lives, and nobody protects the Northwest like Columbia Fire.
3: Contractors, developers, building owners, if your project needs fire sprinkler installation, call Columbia Fire. Marty Boonstra here, and we've perfected a system that will keep your project on time and on budget. You name it, we protect it. Schools, office buildings, high-rises, and residential, too. For fire sprinkler installation, go to ColumbiaFire.net. ColumbiaFire.net
4: every day on Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 K-Bay. Kick off your workday with the 9 a.m. Music Marathon. Over an hour of commercial-free classics. Hit after hit from your favorite artists all day, every day. And the broadcast sponsor of the Bellingham Bells. Listen live online, 98.9kbay.com. Join the fun and be a part of Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 K-Bay.
1: The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group.
0: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife.
2: Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out in Ferndale, in the Pacific Commerce Center, that's out next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway Suite 101 Ferndale 98248. Our phone number is 360 733 1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, continuing on with our weekly global roundup this week, we saw that the Bank of Japan nominee suggests that there is no quick pivot. So during a confirmation hearing with lower house lawmakers on Friday, Kazir Yudi, who was nominated to replace the governor of the Bank of Japan, suggested that there won't be any immediate pivot to a less accommodative monetary policy if he's confirmed. Yudi said that the central bank should continue with stimulus until it's clear that inflation has reached a sustainable 2%. UDI also will appear before the upper house of Japan's parliament this next Tuesday. And some quick hits from around the world. The U.S. GDP was revised down to 2.7% annual pace in the fourth quarter from an initial 2.9% estimate. Consumer spending was also revised lower to 1.4% from 2.1%, while the core PCE price index rose to 4.3% from 3.9% after the first reading. And investors anticipate that the European Central Bank will hike rates by an additional 1.7% for the third quarter, bringing its target rate to 3.7% from 2.5% today. And the White House is considering a number of candidates to become vice chair of the board of governors of the Federal Reserve System. But two economists, Janice Eberly and Karen Dynan, are seen as the favorites. And the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden announced that it is taking steps to lower the cost of mortgage insurance for some first-time home buyers. U.S. natural gas futures have fallen 65% since mid-December, prompting producers to reduce drilling. And Bison nominated former MasterCard CEO A.J. Banga to succeed David Melpass as president of the World Bank. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced that Russia is suspending its participation in the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, which limits the number of U.S. and Russian nuclear warheads. Putin said that his country would resume nuclear testing if Washington does, and said that Russia has put new ground-based nuclear weapons on combat duty. U.S. existing home sales fell seven-tenths of 1% in January, their 12th straight monthly decline, and the median price of an existing home is falling 13% from its June peak. I'll give you more information on that one a little bit later here. The Federal Reserve Bank in New Zealand hiked its official cash rate to half a percent from 4.75%. And on Thursday, the Bank of Korea left rates unchanged at 3.5% for the first time in a year, but left the door open for additional hikes if they're needed. And with the yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond exceeding a half percent cap, the Bank of Japan was forced to intervene this week. It will keep monetary policy easy with the goal of stable inflation, Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda said Thursday. And Fitch Ratings said that the uncertainty surrounding the U.S. debt ceiling is a risk to U.S. Treasury money markets. And Biden on Monday marked the first anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine with a surprise visit to Kiev where he announced an additional half-billion dollars of U.S. aid. Let me give more detail here now on some of the weekly reports that I follow every week. And first of all, the uh, fourth-quarter GDP preliminary report, this is the second report on the fourth quarter of last year, and it can be summed up in a few words, Less Consumer Spending and Higher Prices. Real GDP was revised lower from its initial reading a month ago, growing at a 2.7% annual rate. The downward revision to the overall number was due to weaker consumer spending and lower net exports, which more than offset upward revisions to business investment in structures and intellectual property, and home building to analyze consumer spending, businesses' fixed investment, and home building while excluding government purchases, inventories, and international trade, which are too volatile for long-term growth. Unfortunately, core GDP increased at a meager one-tenth of one percent annual rate in the fourth quarter, which is even lower than previous estimate of two-tenths of one percent a month ago. This pace is alarming as it usually proceeds and accompanies or follows a recession. Regarding monetary supply, the inflation news shows that the Federal Reserve has more work to do. GDP inflation was revised higher at a 3.9 percent annual rate in the fourth quarter versus prior estimates of 3.5 percent and GDP prices are up 6.3% from a year ago, nowhere near the Fed's 2% target. Meanwhile, nominal GDP, which is real GDP growth plus inflation, rose at a 6.7% annual rate in the fourth quarter, is up 7.4% from a year ago. In other news, initial unemployment claims fell 3,000 last week to 192,000, while continuing claims declined 37,000 to 1.654 million. You can expect a solid payroll report for February, but not nearly as strong as it was back in January. We also saw the January new home sales report come out this week. A new home sale started off 2023 on a healthy note, rising for the second month in a row and signaling that sales activity may have hit a temporary bottom. However, even with this modestly positive recent trend, sales are still down 19.4% in the past year. The main issue with U.S. housing has been declining affordability, with potential buyers getting squeezed by both higher prices and rapidly rising mortgage rates. Assuming a 20% down payment. The change in mortgage rates and home prices in the past year amounts to a 33% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median home new home. No wonder sales have slowed down. And with 30-year mortgage rates currently near 7% again, financing costs remain a headwind. It's also important to note, that mortgage rates have been rising again recently, so there is likely more volatility ahead for the housing market. A Piece of good news is that while a lack of inventory has contributed to price gains in the past couple of years, inventories have made substantial gains versus a couple of years ago. The month's supply of new homes, which is how long it would take to sell the current inventory at today's sales pace is 7.9 months. That's up significantly from the 3.3 months earlier in the, early in the pandemic. But most importantly, the supply of completed single-family homes has begun to rise quite rapidly as builders finish more units and rising cancellation rates on purchases leave potential buyers with more options. Though not a recipe for a significant rebound, more inventories should help moderate home prices and put a floor under sales activity. Yes, overall inventories declined in January, but not for completed homes, which continued to rise. One problem with assessing housing activity is that the Federal Reserve held interest rates artificially low for more than a decade. With rates now at a more normal range, the sticker shock on mortgage rates for potential buyers is very real. However, we have m- have strong housing markets with rates at current levels in the past, and home buyers will eventually adjust, possibly by looking for lower priced homes. Going to stick in a Social Security question I got here to finish up this segment. Basically, this case, he says, I'm still working. He said, I read that I can work while receiving Social Security. However, if I earn more than $19,560 during the year, that Social Security is going to take back a dollar for every $2 that we earn above that amount. He wanted to know if I start collecting Social Security benefits at $900 a month at age 62, but continue working and make more than $19,560 a year allowed, well, until I reach full retirement age at age 67, how would Social Security pay me back for the amounts that were withheld? And would it be a lump sum, or would it be added to my monthly benefit, and in what time period? Well, the answer is, your Social Security benefit will be adjusted at full retirement age, as though you had already elected later which means that increases will be paid over your lifetime. Social Security will add up the number of missed checks. Adjust your reduction factor as though you had elected that much later. Since you wouldn't have any earnings penalty for the year, you reach full retirement age due to the higher exempt amount. That would be five years and five months per year, or for a total of 25 months. If you have originally elected at age 62, with a benefit of $900 and full retirement at 67, your reduction factor normally would be 30%, which means your benefit at full retirement age would have been around $1,285. That's without any reduction. That's because you took it earlier at age 62. But when it's adjusted for the missed checks, your reduction factor would be 19.45%. So basically, they're crediting back those checks. And so that means that there would be a benefit of $1,035. And this example, of course, it demonstrates purposes as actual benefit amounts have interesting rules uh, related to the day of the month in which you are born, rounding rules, but it also provides a good idea of how the system works. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI this Sunday morning. Thanks for being with us.
0: KGMI News Talk 790 96.5 FM and KGMI.com It's bad. What do you think
4: their motive is, Chris? What do they want?
0: We're a petri dish. I, I firmly believe that they look at us as nothing like we look at dolphins and whales. We tag them and we send them back out. The
3: UFOs ghosts and other paranormal phenomena
2: they're researching us so we better start researching them more seriously than what
4: we are right now and we could be their creation
0: we could coast to coast is back on kgmi every night 10 o'clock and beyond
3: Wave away the winter blues with $270,000 in cash, free play, and trips. Win your share of paradise every Friday through March with hourly drawings starting at 6 p.m. The Hawaiian vacation of your dreams is closer than you think. Earn entries by playing with your Reef Rewards card. Claim one free daily entry. Unlock fuel discounts of up to 25 cents per gallon at Lummy Bay Market next to Silver Reef when you swipe your Rewards card at the pump. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I 5 exit 260. We've got that. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24 7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I 5, exit 260. We've got that. Ask the experts with Western Solar. Callum, you have to hear about the latest cryptocurrency. We're going to be billionaires. Oh, dear. Sit down, Marcus, before you hurt yourself and listen closely. Not every
0: financial investment is made the same, mate. Yeah, yeah, sure, but I know how to pick them. Yeah, okay. Well, regardless of what you think you know, it's important to weigh any kind of financial investment objectively. That's what we'll help you do at Western Solar when considering an installation for your home or business. If it's done right, an investment in solar is low risk, will hedge against inflation, will enhance the value of your property, and is bankable for the next 25 years. To protect your investment, we partner with the top industry brands and ensure the best possible installation practices, all while offering competitive, fair, and
3: transparent pricing. I am gonna ride solar panels to the moon! He literally never listens to a thing, I say. Western Solar is an elite Panasonic partner, to learn more about the best products and warranties in the industry, come visit us on Home Road in Bellingham or online at westernsolarinc.com. Ask the experts with Western Solar.
4: The snow is dubbing in the mountains and foothills, which means it's time to gear up for winter fun. When it comes to outdoor play in the wintertime, nobody beats Mount Baker Motorsports in Bellingham you're authorized Arctic cat snowmobile and off-road dealer and have everything you need for your winter adventures Mount Baker Motorsports offers an extensive parts and accessories department apparel for the winter riding season and a service team for all repairs and upgrades to your existing sleds are you working outside during the cold and snowy season Mount Baker Motorsports has you covered they have an extensive selection of ATVs and side by sides that can be fitted with snow plows cabin closures and heater systems to ensure that you can get the job done stop by and visit Mount Baker Motorsports today at the corner of Woburn and Iowa in Bellingham, or check them out online at MountMakerMoto.com. Mount Baker Motorsports, Whatcom County's premier power sports dealer, featuring Arctic Cat, Kawasaki, KTM, CF Moto, Husqvarna, and Gas Gas.
1: Why West Edge Credit Union? Because they're all about the community. Of course I like that West Edge has low interest rates and loan specials. But what I really love is that West Edge partners with local nonprofit and city of Bellingham organizations. Plus they put on events like Community Shred, and they talk to me like I'm a real person, not an account number. West Edge really cares.
0: Join West Edge Credit Union today. West Edge is federally insured by NCUA. West Edge Credit Union on the corner of Jameson, Alabama in Bellingham. This is Jake at Vineyard Park of Linden Manor Assisted Living. While the world has changed, the needs of our seniors have not. At Vineyard Park of Linden Manor, we offer independent and assisted living as well as memory care. It's your private apartment. You don't live at our work. We work in your home. We offer 24-hour nursing services, weekly housekeeping, anytime dining, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at carepartnersliving.com and schedule your personal tour today.
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. i going to continue on with this week's economic reports received, including the January existing home sales report. And existing home sales started off 2023 by falling for a 12th consecutive month, hitting the lowest level in more than a decade. Falling affordability has played a major role in the record streak of the declining reports. The prime culprit is surge in mortgage rates with interest rates on 30-year fixed loans currently hovering near 6.8%. Moreover, those rates have been on the rise again recently, signaling that there are likely still choppy waters ahead for the housing market. When you do the math it's not hard to see why home sales have slowed down so rapidly. Assuming a 20% down payment, the rise to mortgage rates and home prices since January of 22 amounts to a 36% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. And while financing costs remain a burden, the good news is for prospective buyers is that median prices fell for the seventh month in a row in January. Part of this is just seasonality. And even with recent declines, median prices are still up 1.3% versus a year ago. But we expect year-ago price comparisons to go negative in the next few months. The report also showed that the inventory of existing homes on the market remains tight, One piece of good news in the report was that the available listings rose for the first time in six months, or up 15.3% from a year ago, which is the best way to look at data given the seasonality of the housing market however these inventories are still low by historical standards and we think low inventories will remain a problem given that many homeowners locked in mortgage rates at rock bottom levels during the pandemic and potential sellers are unlikely to brave a 300 plus basis points that's a three percent increase in financing costs by re-entering the market to trade up for example The month's supply of homes, which is how long it's going to take to sell existing inventory at the current very low sales pace, fell to 2.9 in January, well below the benchmark of five that the National Association of Realtors uses to denote a normal market. So despite the lack of options, homes that are on the market are still selling quickly. 54% of existing homes sold on the market for less than a month, while sales are clearly under pressure. This is not a repeat of 2006-11 housing bust. Unlike the previous housing bust, we do not have a massive oversupply of homes. Meanwhile, a flood of new inventories hitting the markets due to foreclosures remains unlikely. Adjustable rate mortgages make up a much smaller share of overall mortgages today than they did as they led up to the prior housing crisis. Many current homeowners are locked in fixed long-term mortgages at extremely low rates. It would make them very reluctant to default on their mortgage, even if the economy turns for the worse. Expect sales and prices to drag on in the year ahead, and no real recovery in housing until at least 2023 or early into 2024. We also got the Personal Income and Consumption Report out this week. This is a big one because this is one that the Fed follows very closely. And income spending and inflation all rose in January, adding to the growing catch of data that's confirming that the Fed's job is not done. The most notable news release was that the six-tenths of one percent increase in PCE prices, which is the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation. Headline inflation looks to have peaked back in June of 22, when it was up 7% on a year-ago basis. But the increase in January pushed 12-month inflation to 5.4% from 5.3% in December. Core prices, which remove the volatile food and energy components, also rose of 1% in January, up 4.7% in the past year, and that's up 4.6% in December. Note that the Fed is now closely watching what it calls supercore inflation, which is a services only, it's no goods, it's excluding food, energy, and housing. That also has increased six-tenths of one percent in January, and that's the largest increase in any month since late 2021. These prices are up 4.6% from a year ago, showing very little progress versus the 5% gain in the 12 months ending in January of 22. As we mentioned in this week's opening commentary today, the massive increase in M2 money supply during the first two years of COVID has to make its way through the system. And that means the Fed's path is likely to evolve more hikes, involve more hikes and a longer hold than many inspect. Although consumer spending was up a sharp 1 8.8% in the month, we think that won't last. Some of it is due to the six tenths of 1% increase in prices. In addition, COVID and massive government stimuluses have wrecked havoc with the normal seasonal patterns of consumer spending, with a lower share of spending in November and December, which makes January look artificially strong by comparison. The best news in the report was a six-tenths of 1% increase in personal income in January, and that was led by private sector wages and salaries up 1% in January and 8.4% in the past year. However, with incomes up 6.4% in the last year while spending has risen 7.9, the Fed is going to have little confidence that the current level of interest rates is dampening demand to anywhere near the level that they have expected. In other recent news on the manufacturing front, the Kansas City Fed Index, which is a measure of manufacturing activity in that reason, rose to zero in February from minus one in January. We expect soft readings from the manufacturing sector to be an ongoing theme for the rest of 2023. And while we're talking about all kinds of things, we're finding also that worker burnout during the pandemic was even worse than it was at the peak of the pandemic, that uh, workers of the world are more exhausted than ever. More than 40% of people with desk jobs feel burned out at work. A pandemic-era high, according to survey released by Future Forum, which is a research consortium based by Salesforce, Inc.'s Slack Technologies. The pain is particularly acute outside the United States, where the burnout rate has been rising enough to offset slight improvements seen by American workers. Economic Uncertainty Fear of job cuts and rising pressure to return to an in-office work have added to workplace malaise. Further form, researchers said women and younger workers in particular reported struggling with burnout. Regional pressures are also getting people down. In the United Kingdom, strikes have crippled the country as public sector unions protest what they see as a paltry pay increases. Japan's government has asked firms there to help workers cope with the highest inflation since 1981. French citizens have taken to the streets to protest the government's plan to raise the retirement age to 64 from 62, which could result in some concessions around working from home, a government spokesman said earlier this week. In the U.S., layoffs are mounting, and return-to-office policies are shifting from being recommended to required. Many workers, though, seem to feel slightly happier than their international counterparts. Only 41% of the people surveyed in the United States said that they felt burned out at the end of last year, just shy of the 42% global rate and a modest improvement from earlier in 2022. The Future Forum survey conducted quarterly in the U.S., United Kingdom, Japan, Australia, Germany, and France has found that pandemic-era workers with more freedom to choose where and when they work are usually more satisfied, productive, and less likely to quit. In the latest poll conducted late last year, more than half of those who said they were dissatisfied with their level of flexibility also said that they were burned out. Employees with immovable work schedules are more than twice as likely to say that they'll definitely look for a new job over the next year. It's not just mandatory FaceTime that is stressing workers. Companies have thrown so much technology at employees that they may be getting overwhelmed. Large employers now use an average of 211 different applications, up from 195 last year, according to a new separate survey. A recent study highlighted a Harvard Business Review of 20 teams across three big employers found that workers toggled between different apps and websites 1,200 times each day, leading to a toggling tax that can cost workers time, productivity, and peace of mind. That's a lot of times to be changing screens and going back and forth one way or the other. I'm going to answer a couple IRA questions here basically uh, had a question that says, I'm confused regarding the requirements for making qualified charitable distributions. Is it necessary for the donation to be sent directly from the financial company to the charity or can the check be made out to the charity but sent to me and then sent to the charity? And the answer is, that is do you know, we get a lot of questions because we do a lot of QCDs or qualified charitable donations for our clients that are over 70 and a half out of their IRAs. Get a lot of questions about the mechanics of doing a qualified QCD correctly. The rules require a direct transfer from your IRA to the charity. So either of the methods that were described would satisfy this requirement. What would not work would be having the check made payable to you and then you giving the funds directly to the charity. So basically what we're saying, you can have... The money out of the IRA made payable to the charity have them send you the check, and you can give it to the charity, but you do not want to have the check made out to you. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake up here on KGMI. We'll be right back.
1: Bill Davis here to tell you about my favorite and most trusted heating professional. That's Feller Heating. With over 40 years of consistent quality service, Feller Heating and Air Conditioning make you and me the priority. They offer residential
2: HVAC, commercial HVAC, and service and repair. Plus, as a Dyken dealer, they
1: can perfect the air you share with the world's number one indoor comfort solutions systems. Feller Heating, they design peace of mind. You can find them online at FellerHeating.com.
4: That's FellerHeating.com. Attention business owners and managers. Looking to hire? Having trouble reaching the right candidates? Do you have more job openings than applications? Secure your table now for Cascade Radio Group's job fair. Thursday, March 16th in Bellingham at Four Points by Sheraton from 2 until 6 p.m. The March 16th job fair is a production of Cascade Radio Group and HireMeWA.com. For details and to register, talk to your CRG radio rep or send an email to job fair at cascaderadiogroup.com. That's job fair at cascaderadiogroup.com we
1: This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call The Upside.
4: The Rotary Club of Bellingham's annual bell-ringing event for the Salvation Army was a great success. This past December, the Rotary Club of Bellingham and guests, even Rotarians from other clubs and former Rotarians, spent time in front of Area Hagen stores ringing bells, caroling, and playing instruments and getting shoppers to fill the kettles. A surprise anonymous matching donor also joined in the fun essentially doubling the Rotary Club's efforts. The Rotary Club of Bellingham Foundation has been contributing to the Bellingham community since 1917, and they're always looking for new members. If you'd like to learn more, go to bellinghamrotary.org. The Upside is brought to you from a grant provided by Bayside Coin & Jewelry. They are the largest buyer and seller of gold and silver in the Northwest. Bayside Coin & Jewelry in the Iowa Business Park.
3: If you have good news to report, email it to us at the Upside at cascaderadiogroup.com. Cause there ain't no doubt
0: I love this land God bless the
4: USA
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick here with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Got questions for me? Give me a call. 360-733-1200. I've been trying to cover a financial planning topic on these uh, Sunday morning shows the last couple of weeks. I'm going to do another one today. Because we know as people are getting closer to retirement, They're getting tired of that daily grind. They're looking forward to some restful days. They're dreaming of those endless trips or playing golf every day. But before you can enjoy all those retirement brings, it's important to take a hard look at your finances, make sure that you're ready for your golden years. So let's dive into what you need to know before you retire. You know, there is no perfect formula for how much you should save to be comfortable. But you need to be sure you have enough that you'll never worry about running out. Just like other financial decisions, there are many factors to consider. First of all is types of expenses that you have. A prudent financial plan requires a good understanding of how much you'll spend over the course of your retirement. Take into consideration three types of living expenses. One is needs versus wants. Needs are essential for survival, while wants are not. Needs refer to the basic requirements for a person to lead a healthy and satisfying life, such as food, housing, clothing, and health care. Wants generally refer to items or services that give us pleasure or satisfaction, but which are not essential for survival. For example, a second home or luxury travel is not essential for survival, but it may be something that brings you joy. Obviously, you know it's crucial to always make sure that you have enough money to cover your needs. However, it's also important to designate an appropriate amount of your budget to spend on your wants, the things you love. Set a little extra money aside into a guilt-free account and the unapologetic about spending it because investing always carries risks. If the markets hit an unexpected patch of poor performance, make sure that you're prepared to reduce your want spending until conditions improve. Then you got fixed and variable expenses. Fixed expenses are those that remain the same. Examples include rent or mortgage payment, car payments, minimum credit card payments, and utilities. Although utilities haven't been very fixed lately, that's for sure, but fixed expenses typically consume a larger portion of your budget compared to variable expenses. Variable expenses, on the other hand, fluctuate with month-to-month and may include your groceries, your entertainment costs, and your closing. But we also have those unpredictable living expenses. Unpredictable living expenses in retirement may include medical, emergencies, home repairs, children in financial need, accidents, natural disasters, etc. They may only happen once in a lifetime, but they still could amount to enough that they're going to cut into your retirement savings if you don't plan accordingly. Set aside a separate fund for the possible, more significant expenses so that you can pull from them when the time comes rather than your retirement savings. You also need to factor in inflation rates. As we've recently learned, expenses are continuously increasing but not at the same rate. When projecting your future expenses, you should extrapolate your common expenses by up to plus or minus 3%, medical expenses by up to 6.5%. You may even consider modeling the occasional surge of inflation, such as the one that we're currently experiencing. On the other hand, fixed mortgages will normally remain level. So let's talk about your sources of income. You need to get clear on how much your retirement income will be fixed versus variable. Fixed income usually includes money from pensions, social security, rental income, etc., Having consistent cash flow throughout your retirement years is extremely beneficial. Your variable income would be less predictable, sources such as withdrawals from an investment portfolio. And the formulas for retirement savings and spendings, there are a number of them. But some believe that there is a target dollar amount that you need to save for retirement. A rule of thumb suggests that folks should aim to save at least a dollar or one time your salary by the time you're 30. You need to have three times your salary per year by the time you're 40, six times by the time you're 50, eight times by the time you're 60, and ten times what your annual salary is by the time you're 67. Another common formula referenced to is the 4% rule. It's a guideline for determining how much of your retirement savings an individual can safely withdraw each year. The rule suggests that retirees should withdraw no more than 4% of their portfolio value in the first year of retirement and then increase each subsequent withdrawal amount by the rate of inflation. That way, and if investments perform well and retirees can benefit from having withdrawals, that keep pace with increasing costs. If investments don't do so well, retirees will be able to maintain a consistent living standard due to inflation-adjusted withdrawals but now let's put, go ahead and put your plan together. Now that you understand all the expenses and income that you may have in retirement, as well as some factors to consider when ex- estimating costs, it's time to start pulling together the plan. Keep in mind that your goal is to create a thoughtful financial plan that meets all of your needs and empowers you to start enjoying your money. With careful consideration, expert advice from a trusted advisor, you can confidently move forward into this next stage of your life feeling prepared for whatever comes your way. And you know what here? You know, we're going to see a big change in tax law starting in 2026. You need to start planning ahead for some of those things that you're going to see happen. For example, certain provisions of the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was passed during the Trump administration are slated to expire in about two years. You can start preparing for those changes now. You know, I don't believe many have an understanding of the sunset of the Tax cut and Job Act's provisions. The ones that they do understand are typically the ones who have the most to lose when the law is sunset. So even though provisions are set to expire, it's impossible to know what the exact outcomes will be since components of the law can be extended with the approval of Congress and the President. Altogether, another tax bill prior to the revision could potentially extend some provisions or eliminate others altogether. What a new tax bill will propose will be dependent on the political landscape at the time. Notwithstanding any action by Congress, the biggest potential changes that could impact you include the following. Number one, the top income tax rate could be reverting back to 39.6% from 37. The end of the 20% qualified business income deduction, or QBI as we know it, which is also known as a Section 199A deduction for many owners of small proprietorships, partnerships, and S-corporations and the sunset of the increased alternative minimum tax exemption there's also the reinstatement of the P's limitation, which reduced the value of itemized deductions for taxpayers with higher annual adjusted gross income. And there's also an approximate halving of the federal estate tax exemption, which right now is $12.92 million for the 2023. That means each person could give away up to almost $13 million each, up to almost $26 million a couple that you could hide right now from a state tax, federal level at least. Individual taxpayers do have the most to stake with these changes. Most of the business provisions were permanent, but uh, there's always been so much noise and uncertainty in Congress over the past few years that most haven't been focusing on the sunset, but rather on what Congress might do in the next year. Our position continues to be that these laws are set to change at the end of 2025, and we do need to plan ahead. Because the estate tax exemption amount has been adjusted since 2017, we don't know exactly what it'll be in 2026, but we do think it's going to be around $6.5 million a person. That can be a, have a substantial impact on the wealthy. We're also going to see non-C-Corp business owners could also see a substantial impact on their taxes because of the expiration of that qualified business income deduction. Given that the 21% C corporate rate won't be expiring, businesses that aren't currently street corporations that are taking advantage of the QBI deduction may begin to crunch some numbers to determine if converting would make lower overall taxes. So that's definitely something to sit down and talk to with your tax advisors. And then there's others that should focus on bunching deductions over the next three years there's that cap on SALT deductions, which is state and local taxes. So a lot of people just have been taking the standard deduction, but you can bunch your deductions all together in one or two years, take them one year and then use the SALT deduction the next, then bunch them together the next year, take the SALT deduction again the the year later. And for individuals who itemize but also give to charity, it's become popular to itemize deductions every year and take the standard deduction every other year, allowing a greater deduction from the standard years that they itemize. This also has led to increased interest in donor advice funds, where you can make a donation to a donor advice fund in the year that you take the deduction, but direct the donation to specified charities in subsequent years. If you're in the highest tax bracket, you're expected to continue in that bracket for decades to come. Think about ways to shift your income into 23 or 24 or 25. Roth conversions, for example, are a good way to do that, especially when the market's down. It isn't fun to pay taxes on larger conversions, but taxes are likely going to be a lot higher in 2026. A couple thoughts to think about there. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. Thanks for listening to us this Sunday morning. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays at 11 o'clock. And if you got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks and have a great week.
1: Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC. A registered investment advisor.